Northside Connection Network, welcome back to the Ruthlessly Aggressive Podcast, number 49. Uh, I'm good to be back with you. Uh, we have some loaded shows, um, some shows that somehow contradict, <laughs> contradictory shows that seem somehow empty, but like have a lot of shit going on. And I don't know what that actually means, but we'll get into it as we discuss them. But I have, um, I guess this may be breaking the record for like the soonest um, between appearances on the show. And I think this would be a second, like usually I come on here and it's been like six months as I've talked to somebody. I don't really, I never realize it, but I think this has only been a few episodes since he's been on. And as Mr. Ryan gray, uh, what's up, Ryan? I think this makes you a regular on the pod. Now, once you have more uh, than one appearance, you, you're, you're a regular. So congrats. All right. Recur- I'm a recurring guest. I like to see it, uh, a frequent occurring guest by the sounds of it, but, uh, you know, thanks, thanks for having me back, Jake. I'm excited to get into the last installment of 2002, my beloved 2002. So uh, I'm, uh, I'm happy to be with you. Yeah, same. Um, you'll get a boost to your contract. Um, so you'll get a 100% raise from your current uh, contract of $0 per episode. So your downside guarantee of zero. Well, I'm making the dates regardless. So thanks, Jake. Right, no problem. But as you said, this is the this will be the last of 2002. Um, and I think it's a funny coincidence that it kind of syncs up that this is number 49. So the next one, I will be out of. It'll be kind of wrapped up. We're wrapping up 2002 right as I get into episode 50. It's a nice little milestone, like a nice little double milestone here. So glad to have you on, Ryan. Yeah, thank you. All right, but as I said, these are some packed shows, uh, so we are going to get into it. Um, we'll talk about the very long raw that we're going to discuss here, but we'll get into our uh, normal weekly notes here, uh, news notes. We have a few, uh, kind of some quick hits here. Um, 
The first one is uh, New Japan's upcoming January 4th Tokyo Dome show looks to be terribly weak, uh, Dave says. But the reason I point this out, the main thing that stood out to me is that it is going to be, um, there will be uh, the second ever match by a, a young up-and-comer named Shinsuke Nakamura. So he will be um, at the Tokyo Dome. He had had one match in the Budokan Hall before this. So, I, I mean, I'm not an expert on Japanese wrestling, but I had no clue that he had been around since 2002. I don't know about you, Ryan. No, that seems like a long time ago for Shinsuke. Was it, was this, um, before MMA or did he indulge into MMA, MMA at the beginning of his wrestling career? Well, it's funny you should say that. Cause my next note is that speaking of him, he'll also be making his MMA debut this week. So it seems it's kind of simultaneous. Like he started doing wrestling and MMA at the same time. He's going to be facing Daniel Gracie at uh, some kind of Anoki new year's show. So, a real interesting start to his career. Like you usually would think of somebody doing kind of establishing themselves in one first, but it kind of sounds like he just dived into both at the same time, which is certainly an interesting way to do it. Well, he front loaded his career so he could take a vacation at the end of it. So that seems about right. <laughs> right. Look, I can't blame you, Shinsuke. <laughs> um, but anyway, so he's debuting way back in 2002. We find out that, uh, no surprise here, Triple H's leg injury that he worked with at the pay-per-view was diagnosed as a partial right quad tear, and he'll be out of action for a few more weeks, which will probably, you know, kind of um, illuminates why he's not. we're not going to see any in-ring action this week or probably the next few weeks until the Rumble, um, which it would seem to be the case for both of our champions as we go towards the Rumble. But... Yeah, no surprise here. We kind of assume that, uh, given the the lackluster quality of that Armageddon match. Yeah, you putting the pieces together, that kind of makes sense. Maybe that has to do with the mm. uh, the upcoming Steiner results too. <laughs> right. Um, Probably not though. Right. Uh, Hogan was in Toronto last week doing media for his book. He just kind of tossed around the idea of coming back to WWE. He said he'd like to return, but it's up to Vince. And his current contract expires in a few weeks. And he also talked a lot about Steve Austin and made it clear that he's angling for a match. Uh, but he wants Austin versus Hogan. And he feels like that's a huge money match still left on the table, which um, we would never get. But uh, I feel like the closest thing we would get is the... Uh, one I was there live for, which is not a match, but it's um, the closest thing to Hogan taking a stunner, I think, is when uh, I can is that WrestleMania 30 when Austin trolled him for uh, calling it the Silver Dome. But that's about the closest I can think. Yeah, um, he would always no, he'd be angling for a match all the way up to what WrestleMania 22 ish, or even rumored right. for 23. So Hulk right. wanted that big money match, but the thing is, neither of them would do business. <laughs> right. Uh, and funny we should say this as, um, you know, all the rage in the wrestling news in our present time frame is, you know, whether or not Austin's going to be at this year's Mania. So it's yeah, nice it's symmetry there. Right. Um, so we get some follow up on the suspension of Jamal from Three Minute Warning. Um, some details on what the uh, charge was. He was arrested back in November in Pensacola on assault and battery charges. So down Jenny's uh, neck of the woods. The story is Jamal and his wife were at a bar when Jamal's wife broke a tip jar and was causing a disturbance. An off-duty cop who was working security went to remove her from the bar. She refused to leave, so the cop grabbed her by the arm, at which Jamal said, quote, take your fucking hands off my wife and slap the cop. <laughs> then he said, I'll kick your fucking ass, you redneck motherfucker. The cop swung a fla flashlight at him. Uh, I want to make sure I don't flub that line. Uh, <laughs> a flashlight. 
uh, at Jamal as he approached and started throwing punches. Another person at the bar jumped on him, and the two of them managed to get Jamal down. He was arrested and taken to a local hospital first, and since everyone had some cuts and bruises, on the way to the hospital, he reportedly told several officers to kiss their families goodbye and made threats that he was going to kill them. And uh, WWE responded by suspending him, but per that policy, he is not suspended off of TV, just... Um, House shows. He cannot work house shows, but obviously we'll see it on TV getting punished for this action. But the the last line there that he was going to kill all their families reminded me of um, um, what is it uh, from Semi Pro when he says "suck my cock, I'll murder your family." Sounds like that's how Jamal <laughs> went out here. <laughs> and are we sure uh, Jenny wasn't his wife? That sounds like something Jenny would do in a Pensacola bar. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I have to ask her. If she had a tryst with Jamal back in 02. Yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Right. All right. Up, and then finally, yeah, <laughs> a Hartford, Connecticut newspaper did a story on Linda McMahon noting all the recent issues WWE has been facing. Linda commented saying that they're in a, quote, rebuilding process right now and said they have a plan to boost ratings. Of course, Meltzer is skeptical of that. Uh, what a shock. He, of course, talks about all the Katie Vick stuff, uh, the Al and Dawn stuff. And um, the, he feels that they are going with a controversy equals cash thing as part of their rebuilding Phase. So just like Linda addressing that WWE is maybe a bit on the downswing and kind of regrouping at this point, which makes sense. I mean, we see them bring a lot of new talent. Um, you know, I know the the house show business and all that's been down, et cetera, et cetera. But they're certainly like not in the tank, I would say. But just um, an interesting thing to track through this era is the business part of this as it is considered sort of, you know, the, you know, like <sighs> – Dusk has set on the attitude area and they're kind of moving into this whole next phase. So, but, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. As they're building stars, Let's, losing stars mm-hmm. and pushing mid carters up. Yeah, it's interesting. Right. And I feel like, you know, obviously the, this whole pot, I feel like we are. I mean, Vince has dropped the ruthless aggression moniker. Like he's um, put that out there a, a long time ago. But I feel like as we wrap up 02 and into 2003, I feel like 2003 is where you really, really start to. Like, I think most consider 19 as sort of the the changing of the guard moment as when you really start to go into the ruthless aggression era. So it'll be, you know, I've been saying this for a while, but it, we're really starting to get into, you know, we got rapper Cena, we got Batista, all these guys debuting. We're almost at the, the final appearance of Austin. We're, we're getting there. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to follow. But, Right. So, but before we get to 2003, we have to wrap up 2002. So, we will head into Raw, right? A an overstuffed Raw, and we'll talk about why. So, this would be the December 23rd, 2002 Raw, live from Oklahoma City. So, we're in JR country here, Boomer Sooner. Now, some background on this one. Um, I guess Vince was being generous here, and he this show was actually taped the night before. Um, shout out to the uh, history of WWE. Uh, helping me figure this out but they taped this raw rare tape draw for this era where they did it the night before in um in okc but so when you go on peacock this episode is is kind of long by um the average of these shows i cover and then it's about an hour and 45 they usually come in in about 90 minutes with the commercials all taken out obviously and so i was thinking okay something's got to be up with this one and i believe we like before we came to record we we had kind of talked about it ryan and i believe the issue here is it seems like they just sort of put the like unedited tape version of this um, onto Peacock. So we'll, we'll talk about what ends up filling up most of the extra time, but it kind of explains this overly long episode of raw here. 
yeah, just put us putting it together, we kind of figured out, oh, that's why it was tw- 10 or 15 minutes longer than usual. Right. So some bonus Christmas footage for us here um, on uh, Christmas Eve Eve of 2002. But or, or they uh, uh, so we'll, mm-hmm. yeah, or that they um, you know are getting away from the attitude era in away into the ruthlessly aggressive era that they had less to edit off that was so offensive from the other ones. <laughs> right. <laughs> Either or. Could be. All right, but we'll 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 try and fly through. We'll move at a quick pace because a lot. This is a a packed raw. Uh, not all of it is the most the greatest stuff, but it is definitely a lot going on. So we start off with a match here. It's going to be three minute warning versus the um, the somewhat new team of Kane and RVD who were kind of thrown together, but now it's starting to see it's starting to feel like they want to put them as more of a permanent team and kind of really push them as a legitimate tag team. Um, and they really do in this match start to look like it. They do a lot of double team moves, like they do the uh, rocket launch where Kane throws RVD. And this match altogether, not a whole lot to say about this, but it was really just a showcase for Kane and RVD to kind of get them over as a team, like I said, to show them kind of um, gelling together as a team, doing the double team moves, getting over the dynamic of the team. Obviously, that Kane is the power guy, RVD's um, athletic and does all his kind of dynamic high-flying stuff. And it works really well. I mean, I've, I've sang the praises of Kane throughout the pod. Like, he's really, I would say, in his physical, like his wrestling prime, I would say, in this era. And RVD's obviously great. So they're they're a good tag team, and three minute warning just get they're just fodder again in this. Obviously, getting, I mean, it's showing on TV that they're not in the company's good graces because they just come off as jobbers here pretty much. They just get it's complete drubbing just to get Kane and RVD over. Which I mean, that if that was its purpose, it served it because I thought they looked awesome, showing off the power and agility. So I went like to me, it was just a touch above a squash. It wasn't a complete squash, but. Kane and RVD were never in any kind of trouble, and they clearly were the stars of this one. So I just went ahead and uh, went with the two stars on it, Ryan. Pretty straightforward. Yeah, totally. Uh, kind of rather blab, but totally fine. I went two stars too. It was fun to watch them work through the kinks of trying to figure out how to be a f- team. And um, I think Kane. I, mean, I think I, mean, I think uh, King and Jr. said unlikely duo about five times. So you know Vince was in their headset <laughs> trying to put that over. But, um, you know, it was fun. The end with Rico in Three Minute Warning was really odd and erotic. So that was interesting. Is this the end of them? <laughs> it, it would certainly seem like it. Yeah, the post-match, so Rico turns. Well, you think he's turning on it, but then they kind of work it out, I guess. Like, Rico seems pissed at them for losing the match. And then Rosie and Jamal sort of get pissed at each other. And then Rico, even though he's the one that started the arguing, kind of gets in between them and settles them down. Um, so it, it seems like they're okay after the match. They kind of figure it out, but it certainly seems like they're not long for this world. Like they're <laughs> not this world, but <laughs> maybe a bad <laughs> turn of phrase there, considering who I'm talking about. But not long for as as a team. Like it doesn't seem like they get between the way they're portrayed on TV, the backstage issues. It kind of seems like we're a split is imminent with these guys. Yeah, it was heading down a weird road. You didn't you as watching it. When I was watching, I wasn't really sure where it was going, <laughs> but um, mm-hmm. you know, with you going to the whole Jamal Jenny wife thing, it sounds like you know. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And I feel like it'll be hard for them. I mean, obviously they could rehab people if they need to, but I feel like it would be hard at this point to kind of push them back now that they've kind of been. For a good month, I would say. I mean, obviously, since that incident, yeah. they've kind of been buried on TV. I mean, 
to get guys like that over, they kind of have to come in as like monsters and dominate, and they haven't done as that. They so, did, though. yeah, yeah, as they did, yeah, it, it, it was like like mm-hmm, you just said, mm-hmm. it was leading to you know if you're following this, their downfall has been happening pretty much since the Survivor Series, right? So I would not be shocked if we don't see much more of them. But all right. But we'll head backstage where Spike Dudley comes on. He is raging at Eric Bischoff about getting his um, his brothers getting screwed last Monday um, with the um, the brass knucks from Regal and Storm. Um, and so um, as a punishment for his uh, bad attitude, Eric uh, gives him a match with Batista later on. And if his brothers interfere in it, they will be fired. So it sounds like Spike is in for shit kicking. Oh, yeah, he was pissed, though. Yeah, he's fired up Spike trying to defend his brothers. Um, as we'll see, this will be a running theme throughout the night. I mean, they already have done it, but I feel like a big part of this show is trying to get over Morley and Bischoff as like this duo of, you know, like uber heel authority figures, like almost starting to harken back to, you know, Vince and the corporation in certain ways. Obviously not that overbearing or that big in the show or that has that many um, people involved, but sort of the same thing of them being like almost comically evil. <laughs> so, hmm. um, and we, we get a, uh, we get a little shot of earlier um, before the show started when JR got introed by the uh, Oklahoma Sooner band, the marching band is here for our old JR, which I'm sure he was pretty thrilled about. Called it the greatest moment of his life. Well, one of them. Right. Um, we then, uh, all right. So we go backstage and we, so I called this, uh, we have D here and he's kind of pushing this new persona where he's like got the jeans on. I called it, he has like a Sean Jean jacket on, um, which took me back to 2002 for sure. Um, whenever, uh, that ruled the world. But so I called this Sean Jean D as he wants uh, Stacy to market him like she has done with test and she does not seem impressed by D uh, and he 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 proposes that down with the brown could be his catchphrase as a test as the testicles. He will be down with the brown. And Stacy kind of brushes them off and says that her hands are filled with testicles. So she has no time for D'Lo. So are you ready for your first dose of D'Lo and test tonight, Ryan? Yeah, well, I'm ready for the 1.0 version. <laughs> right. So uh, what, what did you think of it'll We'll see it in the match, too. But what are your first impressions of this uh you know, your Sunday Night Heat favorite, D'Lo Brown, and this new kind of heelish gimmick he has. It's the first thing I brought. It, it made me reminisce on watching all those Sunday Night Heats in a row, and I was just like, oh, the good old days, or hello, darkness, my old friend, either way. But, um, yeah, it, it was definitely had that Sunday Night Heat vibe, and then just just D'Lo gyrating in a thugging and bugging way instead of like a hip jive <laughs> cool way it was uh, an interesting take. And then just babyface test is just so... I don't know. He's just, it's just babyface test. He actually moves well as a babyface, but his selling is terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's get to the match. It's a weird match uh, it's a weird both match. times, but I felt like, so we get Tess versus D'Lo. It, obviously Tess is defending Stacy's honor here as D'Lo's kind of harassing her about this. I felt like this match was straight out of 1999 with these two guys. D'Lo, here's the issue I find with D'Lo's thing. Similar to Big Show, who I've ranted about many times, I feel like if you are, you know, nothing against D'Lo. I'm not trying to say he's, like, in horrible shape. But I feel like if you are not a guy who is, like, you know, jacked or in, like, the greatest shape, I don't think the street clothes look 
does you any favors. Like the baggy jeans and the kind of droopy tank top. I don't think that's going to make you look any like, I, I don't think it's doing you any favors as somebody who's not in the greatest shape. Like at least like the old Delo gear, you know, Delo's never been a guy who was shredded, but I feel like when he had the old singlet, it can kind of hide some things or just kind of make him look at least, if nothing else, make him look kind of swole. Even if he's not super, mm. you know, cut or anything, but I feel like the jeans and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he had like Timberlands on. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty they positive. Would be fo- yeah. Forest green Timberlands with the tags. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So like that and the jeans and the gray tank top, just, I don't know. Not a good look for D'Lo. Uh, strange match. Like you kind of said, Ryan, it's because it, it's D'Lo working heel control stuff on tests, which just feels really strange. Like D'Lo working test over who's like, gigantic with a an ab stretch and like a rear choke and all these rest holds and like controlling most of the match is just weird like it just doesn't look right that test would be able to dominate i mean um that delo would be able to dominate test like this delo ends up missing from the top so test comes back comes back at him delo bails out he starts chasing stacy around the ring he lures test back and tries to steal it with the with his foot on the rope but to no avail and um the ref catches him, and he ends up hitting the ref for a DQ. Uh, pretty boring stuff. Like, D'Lo, as a heel in control here on Test, was not the most engaging. I don't really get why you would have Test getting beat down by D'Lo. I guess they're trying to get over, like, Timbaland's D'Lo. <laughs> I don't know. I ended up going a star on it this go-around. Um, honestly, rethinking it, that might even have been generous. This was kind of rough, honestly. I was a little generous. I went starting a quarter just because um, wow. <laughs> I was, I'm just because I'm down with the brown man. But mm-hmm. uh, it's just yeah. Just, I said it earlier. Tests like overselling, not physically, but like physically with his face and his body language is just brutal. But him moving as a baby face was quite well. And then some of his power stuff was decent. So I went <laughs> actually went start a quarter for some of the action, but just all the things you said amplified why it's really like a one star three or a 3.75 star it's just brutal right i like a and i get you know i get he's got to sell it's kind of if he's a face and all but i felt like he was selling like he was billy kidman or something like just getting hammered by d-lo like you said kind of overselling which was strange i feel like he should be doing more of the like um, you know, that kind of Undertaker style of selling where he, he's selling, but he's not getting completely beat down. He's kind of not yeah. going off his feet too much. Yeah, he's jogging around the ring, trying to catch his breath, trying to catch his angles, trying to catch the ropes, trying to get his balance, stuff like that. Where big men sell, not like friggin' yeah, not like friggin' Mustafa, like, <laughs> as we'll get into later. <laughs> right. So uh, after this, after the DQ, D'Lo gets aggressive with Stacy and Tess chases him off. So we think that would probably be the, the the last we'd see of them, and definitely the only match we would see between them on this night, right, Ryan? Uh, what's we're thinking, buddy? <laughs> All right, we head back to Bischoff and Morley as uh, they come out to the ring to hype the uh, Rumble. It is revealed that the the first Rumble of the brand split era will feature 15 wrestlers from SmackDown, 15 from Raw, and the winner will face their uh, the champion on their brand. So not allowed to cross brands yet, which I believe would become a thing later on. I'm not sure when. But for this one, if they win, they will face their own brand. And they say that this will be the greatest Royal Rumble, which I assume is the greatest Royal Rumble until greatest Royal Rumble with a capital G, which would come um, over a decade later. So well over a decade later. Just kind of. Right. So this will be the greatest until then, we assume. 
But uh, interesting to see how they were going to work this with the whole brand split thing. And that makes sense. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so at that, they go to what they are really here for. They walk menacingly towards the commentary table. They show a clip that is supposed to be like, um, I guess, sort of off-the-air footage of J.R. and King uh, criticizing the decision to show, uh, which this was cut out. I mean, they didn't cut out a lot on this one, but apparently, I guess in the original broadcast or something, he must have showed some kind of video uh, throwback to when JR kissed Vince's ass in Oklahoma City in the past. And so it kind of shows like a sort of a hidden camera. During the commercial break, Jr. and King criticizing it, saying that's why the show's in the tank, blah, blah, blah. Um, just kind of dogging Eric in the show, saying that Eric, that Bischoff's only here to kind of make people miserable, not put together uh, a good show. And they work it real like work shoot style where King is, you know, out of character, I guess you could say, like not being heel King or anything, being like he's Jr.'s buddy. And they're just, you know, shooting the shit in between the commercial break. So. What, what did you think of that whole aspect of it, Ryan? Them kind of doing this little work shoot hidden camera deal. I actually found it pretty cool. You know, it's I'm, mm. I don't really think it's something that they did back then, but being a pre-taped, they mm. wasn't really much of a risk to do it, or whatever. But uh, yeah, I liked it a lot. I thought it was cool and added to the the flow of the show as we would go forward. Yeah, it was fine. I, I didn't have any problem with it. But uh, Eric, he he did. He yes. says that he he's pissed off. He says he names Rob Shivani and Jesse Ventura, saying that he's got Shivani's number right now. I was not expecting him to pull that card. And he also says Jesse Ventura, when he's done with his term as governor, could come back on commentary. He threatens to fire them and says instead of firing them, he will put them into tag team action, and that will be their Christmas gift. So you can kind of see where this is all going. It's nothing, you know, like you kind of see what's going on here. You have JR in his hometown. You know, the crowd's going to be behind him. You know, this is sort of a a weird pre-Christmas show, a tape show. Why not do something kind of, you know, just to pop this crowd? So I have no problem with this. Like the, the, I like the, the dynamic here, too, as they already start to get into it. Like JR's worried because he's not a wrestler. But at least he has King, who is a wrestler. So that works because they can – the crowd's going to be behind JR. King could kind of handle the load in the ring. It's going to be a pretty clear face-heel dynamic. The crowd's going to love it. I, I'm fine with this. You know, It's not going to lead to probably anything down the line, but for a one-night little deal, no problem for me, Ryan. Yeah, it's like your, uh, your tougher cousin sticking up for you. I liked it, too. <laughs> right. But this will be a running, a, a running uh, storyline throughout this is JR and King trying to figure out how they're going to handle this, JR being worried, saying that he can't wrestle. Etc. Etc. And I should clear up too. It's they don't have to win; they just have to wrestle or be fired. So as long as they do the match, even if they don't win, they won't be fired. But they have to get in there and compete. Yes. All right. All right. So we head backstage. The uh, coach is on standby, waiting to see if he can get an interview with Triple H. Until then, we will head to the ring for another match. It is going to be Chris Nowinski versus the Hurricane. Um, really, one of the main. The most memorable things of this is the commentary that they're mainly focused on, you know, that everything that just happened, they're very shook. JR is worried. He doesn't know how to wrestle. Uh, King's telling him he's going to take care of him. And eventually they kind of turn their attention back to the match. Uh, Nowinski controls most of this until Maven comes out to distract him and Hurricane wins with the Shining Wizard. This was just a few minutes to build the tough enough drama. Um, it was fine for what it was. It was a nothing match, pretty much. I mean, the, that Shining Wizard is pretty sweet. Um, yeah. Lewinsky looked okay. 
the storyline here is not the most inspired. Like you can kind of tell, and I say this every time with them, how much they believe in the storyline, like like how much effort they put into it. Like this is the most basic, basic thing you could do. Like he's in a match, Maven comes in, distracts, and makes him lose the match, and they don't even say much after. It's like all three minutes this entire deal. So I just went half a start at Ryan. Not a whole lot to talk about with this one. Yeah, I went for a full star just because Hurricane is forever a good TV wrestler. Mm-hmm. You know, Chris Nowinski, not so much. It was, but he just got out of tough enough, what, six months ago. So it's whatever. Right. It's fine. Right. Not a, you know, nothing. They're not doing anything to make the storyline interesting besides, hey, they're from tough enough. They don't like each other, yeah. which is not enough <laughs> to make me care about this, unfortunately. No, not at all. Right. So. We will move forward. Uh, Triple H tells Coach uh, in the back that he knows people are saying he backed down from Scott Steiner, which is not true. If he was right here in front of him, he would slap him. And tonight he is going to call Big Papa Pump out. So we will uh, most likely have a Triple H Big Papa Pump showdown. So, Yeah, what did you uh, um, think of Triple H's AEW hoodie? <laughs> it's a, certainly a choice. Um, he's going... He's like stuck right now between whether he wants to be like kind of casual, you know, athletic wear, uh, jean jacket, Triple H, or he's slowly morphing into the the evolution, you know, horseman cosplay with the suits and stuff. But he's kind of in between right now. Like sometimes he's got the, the fancy clothes on and other times he's just dressed like he just came from the gym. So he's in a weird transitional period fashion wise. Yeah, this particular hoodie reminded me of that black and gray AEW hoodie that they have. <laughs> A two-tone uh, one or whatever. Right. He was uh, foreshadowing the company that he would work for in uh, 2023. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. What is Quadruple H doing here? In- <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we head to our uh, Spike Dudley punishment match. He's going to be facing Batista. Um, a lot of squash kind of matches on this show so far. Um, really awesome. pushing that Eric Bischoff. Is, what's that? It's in a lot of filler. Yeah, yes, indeed. Um, but at least featuring guys that need to be featured and trying to get them oh, over. Yeah, I'll yeah. give them credit for that. Right. So we have Batista against Spike. Really, They're really starting to push, like I said earlier, really getting more into Eric Bischoff being power hungry, threatening to fire people. Like he's threatening to fire J.R. King. He's threatening to fire the Dudley boys here if they come out to the ring. So really pushing more on rather than just Eric being a like a cruel, cruel boss that likes the best of people that he's now trying to like abuse his power. And which is very strange because not long ago he was in like a talent war with Stephanie and now he wants to fire everyone like like he just traded for Devon. Like not a good not a good GM here, Eric Bischoff. You know, giving up assets and now he's starting to fire the same assets that he just traded for. That's smart, Eric. <laughs> yeah, the last time we were on it, he did that four for one big show trade. Right. Nice. Yeah. They're all they've completely forgotten about that whole deal. That they were all trying to get talent. But anyway, you can imagine that Spike gets completely wrecked here. Spike's always good for a few insane bumps anytime he's in the ring and he does here. He gets power bombed on the on the railing outside, which is sick. Uh, he gets choked on the ropes while uh, JR is pondering uh, his job. Like, if I, if you took a shot every time JR on the show said something, I mean, I can't lose my job, King. I need my job. What am I supposed to do? I need a job. He says that about He's 600 times. And he, yeah. Okay, I can't just lose my job, King. I need it. I need my job. Uh, but anyway, he, um, Batista hits the sit out power bomb and Spike is toast. Just 
complete squash rooney I couldn't even remember a single <laughs> Spike Dudley offensive maneuver in this. But the power bomb, power bomb on the rail is sick. They didn't do a lot of stuff, but the stuff they did was um, worked well. So I ended up going to star on it. Good old solid squash to keep pushing Batista. Well, I wanted to star in a quarter just because mm-hmm. it was so vicious. Like it was so mm-hmm. – it worked so well. And, well, Spike did walk up to him and slap him right in the face too. So the tone was set, and he pissed off the animal. He poked the animal. Yeah, that power bomb on the oh, barricade was. Ooh, that was crazy. And then the sit down yeah. power bomb was vicious. Yeah, good yeah. Stuff. Batista's look good in his his kind of moments. They're definitely protecting him, just kind of putting him in these real quick squash kind of matches, not letting him be out there too long and expose himself, which is the right way to do it. Mm-hmm. But all right, we will head back to uh, Bischoff and Morley again. And they kind of hint at first that they will be the opponents for JR and King. But right at that moment, Regal and Storm come in and start kissing uh, Eric Bischoff's ass and offer to take the match for them because they say Bischoff has more important things to do, business dealings, what have you. And um, Regal says he would love to take care of those bloody toe rags. Well, there's some Regalese. Uh, Eric loves the idea. It would, And an added bonus would be if he got to see the brass knucks used on that redneck JR's chin. So we see that Regal and Storm are going to be the ones to uh, take this match, which I don't know. Were you disappointed that you were going to get to see Eric's karate moves tonight? He is a, what, a three-time black belt champion or whatever? Oh, at least three. Possibly even. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if by this point he's in... in an eight degree black belt or whatever. <laughs> I haven't listened to the, the cat. The years. <laughs> the, the, the cat. The cat. Um, the cat. Um, you know, he's been learning from Ernest Miller. You know, the karate champion. <laughs> oh, that's how he got his job. Our that's favorite. right. But uh, I will correct you a little bit. It was going to use his mm-hmm. brass knuckles on Jr.'s double chin. Oh, right. His redneck double chin. Very good. <laughs> yes. It called. And he called. Right. Uh, uh-huh. it, William Regal called the king a pervert, so that was like pretty good too. Yes. <laughs> All right, we uh, then catch a, a quick glimpse of F View, which is just a shot of the women dressing. So a little bit of a creepy kind of hidden camera in the women's locker room. Um, easy way to get a lawsuit. Um, to foreshadow the upcoming Santa's Little Helper match, which is going to be a six-woman tag match between. So our heel team is going to be Ivory, Victoria, and Molly, and they're going to be facing Stacy, Jackie, and Trish on the face side. They're all dressed up in like little, I guess like Santa outfits, but they're kind of skirts or dresses or whatever, whatever you want to say, uh, like holiday themed. So, you know, you're not expecting a Matt Classic here, but I do appreciate anytime they do anything holiday themed. I always like that in wrestling when they actually. Um, you know, acknowledge that it's a holiday, but, uh, yeah, this one, the wrestling was not horrible in this. I got to say they didn't, I mean, a lot of it was obviously like the camera trying to find places to get up their, their sand outfits and see underneath, <laughs> but, uh, like Stacy ends up kind of isolated, um, as the least skilled wrestler on the face team. And so the heels take advantage of her. Jackie gets in, she gets a few shots in, but she gets rocked too. Um, but then we get the faces, get the advantage. Molly's uh, outfit gets pulled down and we get, to, we see her so-called granny panties get exposed. The crowd <laughs> pops for that. Um, through this whole thing, I'm just, you know, as always, Victoria is just a beast. Like I thought here, like you could see even more how Jack she was in the more revealing outfit. Oh, yeah. 
Like she's just shredded, but uh, she's a beast in this. And then um, they structured this well by having Trish be the last face to come in and kind of finish off the match as she comes in, kind of clears house and hits the satisfaction on Ivory for the win. Real basic tag stuff. Um, got the holiday theme, but uh, nothing, you know, nothing of the wrestling was totally fine. I thought they structured it well, didn't overstate its welcome. So I gave it a solid two, Ryan, for a nice little festive uh, women's match here. Hey, me too. I thought it was just, you described it perfectly. It wasn't nothing offensive. It was cute because of all the costuming, and it was actually wrestled really well. Victoria's awesome, mm-hmm. and Trisha's, Trisha's, I guess, hot tag, I guess, was pretty good. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. Two stars, I wrote. Yeah, so agreed. I agree. Um, with everything you said. Yeah, and I would say they were somewhat controlled, <laughs> more controlled in this than they would be in a lot of other situations where they throw a bunch of women into like a ridiculous gimmick match. I'm not saying that they didn't know what they were doing, but it wasn't quite like it didn't reach the level of like the, the pudding wrestling or some shit that they do like that. It wasn't, it never really got to that level. Yeah. All right. So we continue on and we see Scott Steiner, uh, backstage and he says that Triple H was intimidated by him because he is the genetic freak. So we'll see more of old Big Papa Pump later. All right, and we will now go to Jericho. Like I said, a lot going on in this show. <laughs> it is packed. Jericho confronts Goldust backstage saying that, you know, even though they won the tag team championships, that Goldust still is the weak link of the team. And um Goldust counters by saying that that Jericho looked pretty weak last week when he got hit by the Sweet Chin music. And Jericho uh, snipes right back at him saying that it was Booker who won and not him. And that he lost to um, that. Sorry, that uh, Goldust in singles competition lost to Christian. And then Jericho goes really personal here as he kind of I've been enjoying this kind of version of Jericho where he he does some goofy stuff, but then he he turns real quick into being legitimately like hateful and kind of serious. Like yeah, here he calls point. Dust. He, yeah, he says Goldust is a, a failure as a, a champion, as a husband, a father and a human being. And so and then that kind of leaves Goldust a bit shook as Jericho walks away. But, yeah, I enjoyed the interaction. I mean, these are two guys that really know how to work a promo segment. Like Goldust here, even though he didn't say a whole lot, his facials are really good. Jericho is really good, kind of trying to get personal with him and get under his skin. And I also like that they're not like forgetting the weak link stuff. Like it wasn't just a storyline. Like it makes sense that the heels would keep pushing that and and not let the, you know, just because they won that one match, like still trying to push that pot. Is Goldust the weak link? Is he going to eventually cost them? So I kind of like that they're continue- they didn't just completely drop that storyline. Yeah, it was a good appetizer for the structure of the upcoming match. And um, the way that it was shot, Goldust looked about 13 inches taller than Jericho. So that was a little <laughs> weird. Right. And uh, I did like, right. I don't know if you mentioned this, but I like how he kept calling him Dustin instead of Goldust, too, to kind of mm-hmm. add to, you know, putting him down. So uh, good stuff. And um, the weak link stuff is perfect for the upcoming match, too. Yep, I agree. Good promo to go into. We'll see. Could be a pretty good match. So it is going to be a rematch for the tag team titles, Jericho and Christian versus Booker T and Goldust. Um, so this one, 
you know, they give this a good bit of time. Uh, I thought the transitions of momentum in this one, even as they start off early on, are really good. Like, you get the early advantage to kind of shine sequence by the faces, and then they kind of go into the heel control and then into the hot tag. Like, they really went through, for working a longer match, I thought they they ebbed and flowed real well in this one. There was a nice catapult spot early by Goldust launching Jericho, who took a pretty nasty bump. And uh, Goldust is so good. Um, I think it's a big part of why this team has worked so well. Like, especially now with the weak link stuff, the crowd is just so behind them. Like, they love – Yeah. like, they're so into Goldust. He's so good at getting sympathy. So when the heels are working him over, the crowd's super into him and gets behind him. Uh, I feel like Christian's been solid, but he just never stands out in these to me. Like, he's always okay, but Jericho seems to be the star of that team. Like, he just – I find he doesn't have Jericho's mean streak – in this sort of thing. Like he kind of does some heelish stuff, but like Jericho comes in and has some great aggression and is like really beating the piss out of people. Uh, great impact when Booker comes on the hot tag, hitting the spine busters and stuff. Uh, he, so we get down to the finish Booker T uh, seems to have the win or what we think is going to be the finish. Booker T seems to have the win, but Christian gets the ropes after the uh, spin a Rooney. Uh, Great chemistry, like Jericho heels off doing the rope-a-dope and Booker T just rocks him with the heel kick. I thought that was a great moment. Just those two. I feel like Jericho, when he's in the ring with either one of Goldust or Booker T, it's just so great. Like them just kind of working the heel face thing is so good. But Booker T just knocking him out with the kick was great. Uh, he gets the, the tag to Goldust, but uh, the ref misses it, which allows the heels to take over again. Christian goes with the headlock. They slow it down again, which worked, I thought, here just for the pace of the match for a longer match to kind of not always be balls to the wall, like how they slowed it down at times. Mm-hmm. Goldie comes in and shatters Christian's dreams and uh, nearly beats Jericho with the snap power slam. He goes for the curtain call, gets reversed into the walls, and the crowd is working into complete frenzy at this point. Booker T saves him, but he ends up getting tossed out of the ring, which leaves Goldust on his own. And so... Um, like we said a minute ago, Ryan, the, the weak link stuff coming in here is Goldust going to end up costing them, you know, because it's like he pretty much has to either win or lose it here because, you know, Booker T's out. The match is getting to its crescendo. He ends up surviving Jericho by uh, using Jericho using the ropes to try and get the cheap win. Uh, he gets the knees up on the line salt and then gets a nice roll up on Jericho to get the one, two, three and retain the championships for Booker T and Goldust. So. Yeah, I thought this was a really hot tag match. I thought it, like I said, the momentum swings were really well done, and the finish was great. Uh, playing into the storyline, kind of proving that Goldust isn't the weak link. He was great throughout this entire match, and um, you know, stealing the win at the end. I don't think it made Jericho look bad. It makes sense that they would win because you feel like Jericho's probably going to be moving on the Sean pretty soon. So yeah, I thought this was a very good tag team match. Loved it. Great energy. I love that they gave it time. Every guy did what they were, did their job extremely well. So I ended up going uh, three and a half on this one, Ryan. I enjoyed this quite a bit. Yeah, um, good clean action early, and then the odd restart. Last time I was on this podcast, mm-hmm. we had a tag team title match that had a restart too. So I'm like, is this a vibe with me, man? Like, and I wasn't on too long <laughs> right. ago. So uh, what, what are they doing with structure and building these matches with the restarts early? So. I think it's just wait till SmackDown, Ryan. Just wait. I know. I I have it there too. But um, yeah, it was um, good, clean action. Never dull, even when they slowed down, which is which is always a sign to a key, you know, a key sign to a strong, strong match. Um, 
the whole story of the match was revolved around Goldust. Even the even the heat was on Booker to build up for the Goldust hot tag. That worked good. The heat on Goldust, uh, heat on Booker was good. Excuse me. Um, and Jericho was just awesome. Even the two near falls with Jericho and Goldust before the final stretch was awesome and added to the match. Um, just full shine for Goldust. The story that we talked about earlier of the week link coming through, adding to that hot tag team. And I went three and three quarters on this one almost near four for me but um i just love the story love the structure love the excitement love the work rate all good solid match best tag match on raw and shit probably a while i know it's weird i was gonna say that too like which used to be (laughs) no pun intended the weak link of the show on raw was the tag division now it's become sort of a is i think carrying it at least from an in-ring standpoint is being carried. I mean, week in and week out, we get Booker T and Goldust. Now that they're giving these these matches some time to really cook, I mean, obviously the guys have the talent to do it. And now that they kind of have some, some you know, legitimate teams here, it's kind of carrying them a good bit on Raw. And it's definitely, I think, helped them fill out these shows a little bit better than some of the junk I was getting a few months ago. Yeah, and maybe they're getting some heat from the SmackDown 6 leading into this where they want to kind of get a little shine on their own. And plus having Jericho and in Christian in that spot, you can't really have bad matches consistently. Mm-hmm. So overall, you know, good stuff. I never, when I was doing the top five for this year, I never had the raw tag division in it. Right. Yeah. They're trying to sneak in at the last, in the last week here. Mm-hmm. Try to, they're trying to make a case. All right. But, um, yeah, good stuff. So speaking of the Raw Tag Division, we head back and see our um, the uh, the uh, what was it earlier, Ryan? What was the phrase? The um, the duo, the unlikely exactly. a duo. There you go, unlikely duo. The unlikely duo of RVD and Kane. RVD asks if Kane is going to visit his folks for a. <laughs> <laughs> this was a, a weird question from Rob. It's like it seems doubtful, Rob, given uh, Kane's past. And so, of course, Kane says that his parents kept him in a basement and he tortured squ- he tortured squirrels. So, yeah, I don't think um, he's going to be visiting them. Uh, as a gift, he gives Kane uh, hungry, hungry hippos as a gift, Christmas gift, and then tells him that, you know, Kane, we're all hungry hippos. The marbles are obstacles that block our chi. And uh, Kane is not a big fan of this whole idea of hungry hippos and chi and everything. And so he kind of just gives a, he is not feeling the gift and Rob seems a little bit uh, taken aback by it, but he just rolls with it because he doesn't really, Rob doesn't really sell anything, but I thought, I thought they were great. Especially, especially RVD. I loved here. Like his whole, like, I just love when he can really go full into the like stoner weirdo guy. I absolutely love it. He's a great rambler, but yes. um, I love, I love that. <laughs> he was just like, he was like, shit, I should have got shooting laughs. <laughs> yeah, shooting laughs. And then he was like, uh, Cade rejects the hungry gifo gifts. He's like, uh, you want to go get some roadkill on the road and bring him back to the hotel? Oh, yeah. True. <laughs> and I love uh, when he asked him that. He's like, he's not trying to be funny. He's being sincere. Like, he's just trying to figure out what, like, a weirdo like Kane would be into. He's like, I don't know. You want some roadkill? I mean, like, he's very open-minded about Kane being, like, a weird demon freak guy. Yeah, which built, you know, puts into their ma- the way they built that match in the first match of the night where they were trying to work out the kinks and get it together. This is a nice kind of bow on that. So good stuff as they they're together for a while, right? So I believe we'll see, so. We'll yeah. see, but I think it's at least 6 months. 
Yeah, it's enough to like be a memorable, like established team. I remember at least that much. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, the Triple H cast off team. The, uh, the unlikely duo. The, uh, yeah. A very popular trope on Raw here with them, Booker T and Goldust. Right. Yeah. All right. So this is the point where both of us kind of, you know, pause the app and we're like, okay, what's going on here? Because we now see scowling D'Lo Brown come back out to the ring. And he says that the decision earlier was bullshit, which is unedited. So we get a D'Lo saying bullshit. That popped me. But he wants a winner-takes Stacy match. So he wants to have another match, and the winner will have, I guess, Stacy services. And Tess comes out and accepts it. So we are going to get D'Lo versus Tess yet again on the same night, as if one <laughs> the, the banger we got earlier wasn't enough for us, Ryan. We get to see this again. And another thing, and so this was the one where I was like, okay, clearly this was not on the original broadcast, because it just like seemed weird. The commentary was sort of strange and, and sparse in this. The crowd was totally dead. And I, you know, part of it, I think, is the match they were seeing. And part of it makes you wonder if it just like the crowd thought they like weren't live or something, but the crowd was completely silent here, like sitting on their hands, like nothing, like not even like, uh, like it was crickets, but you know, not it was the same exact this, match. <laughs> right. Right. It was the same match. Like D'Lo comes out, does like basic stomps and rest holes. This is the moonsault. Uh, and Tess comes back, hits the, the, I call it the choo-choo clothesline, and then hits the pump handle. But D'Lo gets the ropes on the pump handle. He does the same thing with Stacy, follows her around the ring. Yep. And then the only difference here is that he comes back in the ring, walks into the boot, and gets beat. And so, yeah, so I want to star on it again because it's the same match. I didn't want to dock it because I was punished by having to watch it twice, but... Yeah, the, the bigger thing here when you watch it is just trying to figure out what is going on. Like, was this a did like they not like the first one, and so they sent them out here to try and redo it, or was this just for the live crowd to kind of get you know D'Lo getting beat and get the the face pop? I don't know. I don't know if you have any theories, Ryan. Here, well, I have a little theories. Um, there was house show entrances. Like D'Lo ran out on the stick and said, "I'm going to kick his ass," and then test no entrance. So they're going to. On the original version, I assume they just aired the entrances from the first match, which makes sense. And then here, they mm -hmm. just got right into it, and there was less bullshit from Tess selling, like facial-wise and mannerism-wise. And it was just more go, go, go action. So I think they might have spliced it together. I don't I don't know. But the same stupid bullshit runaround spot and the big boot for the end. So I want to start a quarter again. Like, what are we yeah. doing here? But yeah, I, I it like, like it a little better, I guess, mm -hmm. because of less, less of I notices less bullshit from test. Right. It was it was like copy and pasted with a different finish, kind of. Mm -hmm. it, yeah, it's it's very strange. It's like as if they were like, you know what, we're taping the show and we're going to take advantage of it. Go out there and redo this shit. <laughs> like, I don't know. That's very very odd. <laughs> right. Like, it is. Yeah. It it didn't work. So. I don't know. Very odd. Double dose of D'Lo and Test. Anyway. All right. Speaking of some more odd kind of filler, we <laughs> now go to like a random mall. And uh, there's a, a mall Santa there who we don't know who it is at first. Uh, he's trolling all the kids, calling them greedy and creepy. 
they do this weird like thing too when he's like messing with the kids or the camera's like wobbling all over like they do these weird camera effects uh he's straight up telling the kids that santa isn't real and he reveals himself to be sean o'hara well sean o'hara i always want to call him sean o'hara but sean o'hara who i cannot even remember the last time he was on tv i mean maybe he was on heat or velocity i don't know you would know better than me ryan i can't remember on this year maybe early in the year but i i don't remember right i i can't even remember if he's even been on raw since i started the pod but and so and then that's just a segment he like reveals himself as sean o'hara and hair and then that's it and I was just after this, I was like, what the fuck was that? Like, I mean, I get it. There's a, it's a Santa thing. Cause it's Christmas, but just completely out of left field. Like, is this going to continue somewhere? Is he like building to a return? Just real strange segment. Oh, here is coming. He's the new veer. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> uh, his buddy planet Stasiak hasn't been around in quite a while either. So well, he's maybe he's going to take that spot. <laughs> All right. So, after that, so back-to-back real weird uh, kind of segments. We now see uh, JR heading to the back because he's going to get ready for the big match later on. And so in between uh, that, we're going to get our main event uh, <laughs> interview promo segment. So Flair tells Triple H not to mess with Steiner. He's crazy. You know, you don't want to push him too hard. He's insane. You don't know what he'll do. Deal with him at the Rumble. But Triple H insists that he's not afraid of him. And we now go to the ring, and Triple H is shitting on the Oklahoma fans, making fun of them with a country accent, saying he's the best, blah, 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 you know, et cetera. Steiner can't hold my jock the same spiel that he usually says. And he didn't face him last week because he had just faced HBK in a brutal match the night before at Armageddon. So that's why uh, Steiner's not in his league, yada, yada, yada. And then here comes Big Papa Pump. He comes in the ring. He and Triple H go nose to nose. And uh, Triple H tells him if he wants to be the man, he's got to beat the man. And uh, Steiner takes the mic right out of his hands, says they didn't come to see him. They came to see him beat Triple H's ass, and he wants to do it now. Triple H says, prove it in an arm wrestling match. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> all right. I was kind of out of nowhere. And then. This is hilarious because when he says that, this little crew of people, he's like, bring this stuff out. And these like three dudes just like were just laying and laying and wait with uh, all of the equipment you need for arm wrestling match, like a padded table and the little stools and shit. I was just like, <laughs> I guess he planned this because he had his little team of people with the arm wrestling stuff. But Ryan, what was your reaction to um, this random challenge of an arm wrestling match? Uh, elation because less talking <laughs> from these two idiots. It was just so boring listening to Triple H talk about dressing down Steiner and then Steiner mock, you know, mocking Triple H and just, oh, you're scared of me. I'm the big booty daddy. And he's so entertaining, but the dialogue is just so fucking blah. So they need props for fucking to be somewhat entertaining here because the verbiage in the Everything else is just not happening for me. Yeah, I feel like here's where you're really starting to get into like Triple H sort of playing into the the perception of him. Like 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 and he feels like he's almost doing this and I could be wrong, but it feels like he's trying to do this kind of 
like the subtext to it. Like everybody thinks that I think I'm the best. And so I'm going to make these comments like almost like he's doing on purpose, but you know, we're supposed to feel like he's kind of in on it and that's part of his heel persona. But like you said, it's just not, even if he is self-aware of what he's doing, it's not the most entertaining. It's not the most interesting stuff. Like we're not getting many memorable lines. He just kind of says the same shit over and over again. Gibberish of verbiage of nothing. Yeah, not my league. Yeah, don't. Anyway. <laughs> Nothing. I did like the uh, the old school, like, kind of arm wrestling match. It's like a throwback to, like, oh. something you would see in the 80s or something. If we're going to get into the arm wrestling match, I'm all for that. It's electric. And, you know, I just right. killed Triple H for two minutes about how boring and monotonous he is. But, like, his mannerisms within this arm wrestling match is phenomenal. It's just completely zero to 100 as i describe it um i don't know it's and then it makes brings out the best in scott steiner's chemistry with him just sitting there and just real triple h realizing that he's not trying and then scott steiner with the freaking mesh of freaking headwear falling down his face and he can't push it back up because he's in an arm wrestling match but he's over here just smiling and smirking it was the best of both worlds with these guys is the arm wrestling and just the verbiage leading up to is terrible. It's literally zero to 100. Right. Like it's great. Like you said, the, uh, all the straining and the grunting from both of them. And then like the smile slowly gets on his face. It's great. Uh, triple H like standing up and still getting nothing. And then just getting beat is great. Like, and then selling it. Like he just got like his arm snapped in half or something is great. And then wanting a rematch Uh, right away. Yeah, and like showing showing some ass right here, like yes. kind of stooging. Yeah, what once it once more, and then just gets beat again, like five times in a row. As Steiner just keeps slamming his hand, and then compl- then tosses the table, and then Triple H bails out. Like it was goofy, but I enjoyed it. Like, and then you like get Nature Boy back there, lot- his great fodder mm-hmm. in the background, try to hold him back and tell him it's enough, champ. You're the champ. You know, it's just that stuff's good. Yeah, it was a good, like, throwback to, like, the, you know, the rude uh, Ultimate Warrior pose down kind of shit. Like, it works for these two guys. They can, like you said, better than them talking. And it also allows them to, like, have some, like, physicality without having to actually, like, fight each other, which I think is good. Like Yeah, work to Steiner's strengths. I feel like, mm -hmm, right. And, um, yeah, get them over with the crowd. And I feel like they're doing a good job with this feud even with maybe the weaknesses of it, they're building anticipation of like, I think at the very least, even if you don't, if you're not anticipating it being a great match, there is the intrigue of like, what is the match going to look like? Which is at least anticipation. Like you're just wondering because they're not allowing them to fight. And, you know, maybe they sort of lucked into that a bit. I don't want to say lucked into it because he was injured, but Triple H not being able to wrestle may force them to kind of think outside the box and not do you know, them just brawling at the end of every show. And so I just think it's it's helped build the anticipation of what is it, like, what does a Triple H Scott Steiner match look like in 2002? Yes, very cool. I, I remember I went to the Rumble and I was excited for it. And boy, mm-hmm. was I disappointed. <laughs> but um, I, could, the, I couldn't get past of the last time I was on with your Meltzer report, Linda saying that, HBK, Triple H, Brock Lesnar, and Scott Steiner are going to be the four pillars of this company going forward. And I'm just looking at these two and then knowing what's coming up, I'm like, God, was she wrong? You know? 
Yeah, maybe she meant like Scott Steiner as a literal pillar, like a physical, like used <laughs> in the same way like seeps, like concrete is, like just to hold up a building. He'd probably work well as that. But yeah, certainly a stretch to think. Um, now for like a, a, you know, a few big matches, sure. But I, I don't know about a pillar of the car. Like you could definitely feel like he's past his prime for sure. It's No, it's just crazy that that's the high hopes that they had for him coming in. Right. And then I'm sure it didn't cost. I'm sure it cost them a good chunk to get him in. And then they put him in with Triple H, and they just booked it so terribly. And they had no charisma. They had no chemistry. And then they just blamed it on Steiner. Right. Not that he's the best, yep. but you get what I'm saying. Right. Yep. So okay, we still have a few more weeks to build. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. And then of course we'll get to the. Uh, I, I can't wait to get to that one. Uh, to revisit that one but all right but before we close out raw we have our big um our big tag team match where jr and king are gonna have to wrestle regal and storm and because our commentary team is wrestling we get eric bischoff and uh chief morley on commentary here so getting some i had some big throwback uh nwo bischoff commentary vibes going on here like he was kind of channeling his uh his old nwo eric character but uh, Morley, I thought I popped whatever he called him. Uh, and I don't know if the, he was doing this on purpose or he just kind of slipped, but he called him Lord Stephen Regal when he came out, which got me pretty good. <laughs> I wonder if Vince liked that one. But anyway, um, what Eric called King a, um, what do you call him? Uh, I forget what he, he said. He was from some commercial, like a copper tone commercial or some shit. Like, <laughs> I guess like making fun of his tan or something like that. But uh, JR gets the hero's entrance with the marching band. Obviously, the crowd's super behind him. And they mentioned that the plan is for King to stay in the whole time and JR to never tag in. So we'll see if they stick to that. You know, some solid wrestling here. Obviously, Regal and Storm are technicians. Um, they're good in control, like working the holds and keeping things interesting. And I think King has, you know, the right kind of offense that could work in here. Like every now and then, he just, you know, he, he, Gets some forearms and uh, punches and stuff like that. He gets to hit his mid-rope, uh, gets hit the mid-rope uh, kind of forearm that he hits. And so, but what happens here is JR kind of gets a little overconfident because King avoids the knucks. Uh, the ref gets knocked out, I should say. King avoids the knucks and they go flying. Uh, King gets uh, sort of wiped out and JR is begging him to get tagged in. And he sees the opening with the knucks. He comes in, he grabs him. But right as he's about to hit Regal with him, Storm cuts him off, and now he's getting stomped in the corner. But here come the Dudley boys for the save. They hit the 3D on Regal and Storm. JR gets the Nucks, hits Regal with him to a big pop, and then gets the pin for the huge babyface hero win. Um, perfectly fine, I thought. The wrestling was, you know, they didn't try and make this some 20-minute long match, but it was fine. Regal and Storm controlled what they needed to. King came back and hit some decent moves when he had to. And then you get the little fake out at the end thinking that, well, maybe they are just going <laughs> to make uh, JR look like a stooge in his hometown. But then you get the cool moment at the end. Perfectly fine for like a Christmas show, kind of special show, hometown crowd. I had no problem with this. I went two stars on it. Totally fine. Nothing offensive. Yeah, totally. Uh, I went two and a quarter. So we're on the same wavelength. And I didn't expect to go that high. Um, yeah, this is actually the perfect spot for King. If you think about it with his past with, you know, two technicians, like you said, Jay on the outside and just Memphis King 
you know, just knowing the spots, how much to give, how much to take, to keep the, he's got the, he know he, he has the crowd because JR, so he's got him in the palm of his hands by some of the hope spots he has. Jesus Christ, that bot, back body drop that he gave to Storm, I, I swear, Storm may have just landed. That fucking thing got up mm-hmm. there. That was pretty impressive. That was cool. Um, you know, the crowd is into this the whole time. The marching band just, it's just, it's super, it's a super fun atmosphere. There's not like, and you would think the work, the work rate is better than you would expect. The structure was fine. The story was good. Two and a quarter, man. It's, and it's justified. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It was totally fine. Like, I, I'm glad that they gave Jar the moment. It was kind of like, uh, you know, hey, we've humiliated you in your hometown before. Well, we'll let you have a cool moment. So, um, cool. You know, Bischoff and, and Morley are, obviously pissed off about the whole thing yep not gonna lead anywhere but it doesn't matter they had plenty of time to do anything else they wanted to on this show you know for kind of a weird taped uh raw uh a totally fine way to end it so but that uh that wraps up this supersized raw ryan so uh, we went through a lot of stuff i I was thinking about raiding this one i feel like i'm gonna give it a little bit of a bonus because (laughs) i'm gonna try not to hold the double d low against them too much because i don't (laughs) feel like that's really what the show was meant to be. Uh, but otherwise it was a very kind of up and down show. We obviously got the super awesome tag match, um, but it was long and it was kind of meandering at times, but they did have a solid main event angle with the arm wrestling thing, a cool moment at the end, the good tag match, uh, a little meandering in the middle. But I think if we kind of 86, some of that stuff that probably wasn't, part of the actual show i think it bumps it a bit i'd probably give it a solid like five out of ten yeah i'm at a 5.5 you described it pretty well you know it's not a not often that you get a solid 18 20 minute three and a half three and three quarter star match that i had the fun closing match the show long angle that built to that even the squashes in the middle that were fun with the k and the rvd stuff the rvd kane um segment the jericho um Goldust segment leading to their match. Not much, a lot of stuff in here, but none of it made sense. And I assume that they only aired one of those test in D'Lo down with the Brown segments. So I, not, I don't want, like you said, I want to hold it against them too much. But uh, yeah, five and a half, closer to six than five. But five and a half is my score. Yep, I could roll with it. Yeah, I'm gonna, like I said, I'm, I'm assuming that the second D'Lo match was a, a weird kind of peacock wanting to give us, uh, I guess, the full the full package, I guess. So. All right. So a solid Raw. Raw's been picking up, I think, lately. They it's, it's still up and down, but there was a period where I was getting a lot of stinkers. And they they're, they're I feel like they're at least solid more than they are actively bad. So good for them. All right, we'll see how uh, SmackDown fares here. SmackDown's in kind of a transitional period themselves. So this would be the day after Christmas 2002, uh, December 2602. And I believe this is another tape show. I think they taped this either maybe the same night or the night before or something as the Raw. And this is going to be live from Tulsa. So we'll see if the, uh, the taped part of this comes into play with SmackDown here. So uh, Stephanie comes to the ring to start the... She tells us that show versus angle, which was promised to us last week, is not going to be happening because of what Brock did after the show went off the air last week. 
Uh, and so we we don't get to see it. And this is sort of their tease. Like, I guess they're trying to get us to not change the channel to see this insane footage that went from uh, last week to see what Brock actually did to Kirk to stop this because Show was supposed to get his title match. So he is uh, big shows, of course, not happy about this. He comes out dressed in all black. He looks like a, uh, a supporting actor from The Sopranos here and his uh, weird, like, low-quality leather jacket. He is without Paul Heyman. And when she said, uh, she said, sorry, Big Show says that when she said Kurt may be done until the Rumble, she must admit against him at the Rumble, and that if he is going to have to wait until the Rumble, it better be him getting the title shot. He gets in her face. She fires back at him, tells him to back off unless he wants to be suspended like Brock, blah, blah, blah. And that tonight he is going to have to face Benoit for the number one contender spot. Hugh Benoit, he comes out, looks straight up at Big Show. They do a good job of kind of showing the size difference between the two guys. Really showing that Benoit is the underdog here, at least from a size perspective. And uh, he says last week that he got angled to tap, and tonight he's going to make Big Show tap. Show says he's a giant, and Benoit will have to do something to get him down the size. So Benoit does that by hitting him in the nuts. And so, and that sort of ends this opening promo segment and sets up the big match for later tonight for the number one contender spot. So, um, I thought it was a good, this is a good matchup to get Benoit over as like the fighting underdog. And you can kind of, I mean, <laughs> I'd assume we were not expecting Big Show to win this match, Ryan. Uh, no. <laughs> right. So, continuing to move away from Big Show as we, he was a transitional champion, and now we are transitioning away from him being a much of a main event player. But I didn't mind this whole segment. I think it established where they're going. Um, the I thought the Benoit show face-off was simple but effective and showing the difference between the two and really starting to elevate Benoit into that main event spot. And um, I guess I was kind of interested to see what Brock did to Kurt. So I thought it was an effective opening segment overall. Yeah, it was a little boring, but overall effective. And um, I th- have it described as pleather for his jacket and his pants. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I thought of you with your Big Show fits, with his black undershirt. So Big Show is completely blacked out, and it is not slimming when black is supposed to be slimming. <laughs> right. He is, yeah, I mean, I guess gun to my head, it's an improvement over the jeans, but that's a low bar to clear. <laughs> I don't even know about that. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, yeah, the pl- maybe he had real leather, but the pleather has, you know, come on. National and TV. And they're baggy, too. Like, what, do we got? what do we got going on here? Yeah, how, how are you a man that large and have nothing but baggy clothes? Like, <laughs> I don't understand. How about a tailor? It seems the only know, Like. Ugh. Yeah. Anyway. But, yeah, I think you're. that's a good point, though. It, it was a bit boring. It, it was, like, more... <sighs> It's like it is. It set everything in place, but it wasn't done in the most. It kind of just went out there to do a job, as opposed to doing it in any kind of super interesting way. So it was effective in and getting everything across, but didn't really do anything too memorable. Yeah, Stephanie's super so. unlikable, and Big Show is even more unlikable. So it's, it's the, like the best part was I'm kicking him right in the dick. That's it. <laughs> right. All right. Speaking of unmemorable, we have a build a up match coming up. He's going to be facing uh, your buddy Crash Holly. See, so see, I'm trying to say this. See, show superstar Crash Holly. He is like a metal uh, so, jacks kind of superstar, too. That's a deep. <laughs> the D show. 
<laughs> anyway, he's uh, he gets wrecked in this. He gets thrown to the post. Demond is pulling his arm across the ring post, just uh, brutalizing the arm, and then he hits the uh, the <laughs> funny my uh, it's the big shot moonsault, but my uh, my notes have corrected to the big shit moonsault. So that's uh, fit. <laughs> yeah, right. So that ends it. It's a yeah. Go ahead. It's fitting because my my notes say how shitty is Bill Demont's tattoos. So it's fitting. <laughs> They're not great. But uh, yeah, a complete squash Rooney. Even though I don't like Bill DeMott and he's not interesting to me, I think he looked pretty good here. I mean, his stuff yeah. in ring is fine. He's just not a compelling guy to me. Like, he's fine in ring, but I don't really care about him as a as a wrestler. So, a uh, star for me. Yeah, star a quarter. Like, it was pretty good work on both sides between Bill and Crash. But it's not compelling, and it was boring and it was like two minutes yep all right so we will move on to something more exciting and that's going to be dawn and al so they are talking about their upcoming wedding that's going to be next week and so they're exchanging christmas presents here so al has gotten so follow me here this is a a gift from al to dawn he gets her viagra for him He's like, uh, here's your gift. It's Viagra for me. So it's really a gift for both of us. Like how thoughtful, (laughs) how thoughtful Al. Uh, She gets him a video camera so that they capture the honeymoon in full detail. And of course uh, they start making out and Taz is about to vomit. Taz's reaction here is amazing. He's like gagging and spitting everywhere. Just completely disgusted by this. But um, my favorite part of this (laughs) was him giving her Viagra for Christmas. (laughs) <laughs> there's nothing like a rock hard gift for a gift <laughs> uh, how sick is Paul Heyman for like his Pornhub's fucking search must be horrendous <laughs> this, uh, yeah, and it's only gonna get you know obviously I mean if you thought we were gonna get through a Smackdown with this being the only you know Al Dawn Tory segment then you are sadly mistaken so His tongue was so done. far down her throat, and there was so oh much lipstick God, yeah. on, so much lipstick on his face. It's like Jesus, God bless Don Marie, man. It was like that um, from not another teen movie when they do that like parody of uh, Cruel Intentions, they're like <laughs> slobbering all over. It was very yeah. much like that. All right, all right. We see uh, they're starting to put some teases in as we see uh, Kurt hobbling away last week. So really trying to push that this is going to be some wild footage. So we'll we'll see when we get to it. Is it going to live up to the hype? We will be the judges. But we will carry on. And now we head to uh, Matt Hardy. Uh, he's heading out to the ring. His Matt fact for this week. Um, he was the MVP in the No Mercy 99 ladder match. So kind of putting himself over there. And that he always sticks to his New Year's resolution. So good for you, Matt. And we see that Shannon Moore is with him and is alive somehow after being murdered by Brock Lesnar. He is somehow still walking, so good for him. Uh, Which is actually the topic uh, when Matt gets to the ring. He says that Brock is destroying SmackDown um, and that you could ask his young MF or Shannon uh, because Shannon knows the pain from what happened to him last week. He says that Shannon knows pain, but no one knows pain better than Matt Hardy. So (laughs) he's going to challenge Shannon quote-unquote, challenge him in, anticipa- in anticipation for Brock next week. And just out of nowhere, he just clotheslines the piss out of Shannon Moore, knocks him out, and uh, they play up the whole thing. That Shannon Moore's weakened like he could, he wouldn't even really be able to wrestle. Uh, he's lucky to be able to walk after that uh, 
his match with Brock. And so they kind of just show that Matt's kind of unhinged a bit and like trying to use Shannon Moore to make a point. But I do like that they're taking it a step away from the the goofiness. I mean, I've loved the Matt 1.0 and like his kind of the goofiness with the MFers and stuff. But I like that they're also showing this kind of shitbag heel side of him that, you know, this guy who's his like protege, he's just going to use him as like a as a punching bag to try and make a point or something I thought was good. But yeah, I've enjoyed these Matt segments. He continues to get over. And I like that they're pushing his character in like kind of a new direction. Yeah, uh, I actually felt, felt sympathetic for Shannon. So I was like, oh, it, right. I guess it did, I guess it did his job. And Matt is just this is this is my favorite Matt Hardy. Really, it's, Matt Hardy's a guy that I don't really particularly care for, but like just version one is just phenomenal. Right? Yeah, he he's real good here, and it's I'm telling you, I feel like it's I would wonder, and I would like to go back to the the time frame and wonder like like did people see this coming from Matt Hardy? I mean, I think now we all know after all the, like, you know, different, you know, personas and like, he's obviously a guy who, who thinks pretty, you know, whether you like his stuff or not, he's obviously a guy who puts a decent amount of thought into this stuff, like his characters and trying to do different stuff. And so I wonder how many people would have saw this coming at the time that he would be, you know, would have come out after the Hardys break up and immediately go into like this kind of pretty interesting character. Yeah. Um, you would think when they broke up that Jeff would be extending, not Matt, mm-hmm. when when Jeff is totally kind of spiraling away. So, good stuff. Right, and, and, and from what we've seen from Jeff, he's not, you know, not fantastic on the mic. And so I feel like you kind of would assume, well, because they're, you know, they're so synonymous with each other, you'd be like, well, if Jeff's bad on the mic or not great, Matt's probably the same way. And then Matt comes out and he's like, fantastic. And it's kind of, just kind of catches you off guard. Yeah, good, good stuff. I'm, I'm sure like people backstage were, you know, aware of mm-hmm. that kind of Matt is the glue of the Hardy Boys and Matt is the more creative one. So I'm sure some were surprised, some weren't. Right, but good stuff. All right, so we um, we get another clip of uh, Kurt in the show with crutches and a, a large leg brace that is taking up his entire leg. So continuing to tease out this whole you know Kurt Brock situation but before we get that reveal we will go to a um similar to Raw we get a pretty hot tag match on paper we'll see how it plays out it's going to be Eddie and Chavo versus Kidman and Edge for the tag team titles so um you know you said it earlier Ryan like kind of matching the Smackdown 6 stuff it's you know another tag title match pretty clear heel face team and almost at the exact same part of the show like right around the middle of the show so a lot of symmetry here between the two shows with this kind of um, structure. But anyway, so we had Kidman comes in hot on uh, Chavo, which is a little bit of a change up. Very used to seeing Kidman working as the face in peril a lot. So this was a cool change. Uh, bumping all over Eddie and Chavo are when Edge comes in. The Edge is hitting some backdrops and they're flying like 15 feet in the air. It's just ridiculous, <laughs> like making them look great. And the heels just can't get anything going. Um, the the champs do the uh, the champs, Eddie and Chavo do the old uh, – the old trope of the uh, heels doing the intentional count out to try and save their titles. But the ref says if they do, they will lose the belt. So Brian Hebner, real power hungry here, like just changing the rules here. I think even Taz says something that's like, man, no, Brian Hebner is really feeling himself tonight. But this will be your first restart here. Um, your first restart of the night uh, on SmackDown, Brian. Yeah, man. 
All right, the opening felt very Velocity-ish with Charvo and Kidman going in there for like two minutes and literally doing nothing. So I wrote, first two minutes, Velocity. But um, <laughs> but shit got turned up, and it was that you know it was an excellent seven minutes before the restart. And now we're at the restart, and I wrote down again. Like I've wrote, <laughs> I wrote, I have four shows that I've watched in the span of I don't know a month or whatever for Raw and SmackDown, and we have three fucking tag team restart <laughs> title matches. So little did I know I was gonna get four at the time, but. At three, I was just said, "What am I? What are we doing here? Like, are they are they are they twenty years in the making playing a rib on me or something? What's going on?" Right. Like, if there was something they were into in two thousand two, it was these like restart things and these tag matches and stuff. And also, the there was a period they've kind of gotten away from it lately. But where I felt like every week there was at least one spot where a heel was taken off the turnbuckle. So, like, there must have been some agent or somebody backstage who was really into restarts. And, like, I guess they feel like the restart thing builds heat or something. I'm not sure. And then the the heels taking the turnbuckle off. There was, like, if you watch, if you go back to this entire podcast and take a shot every time I mention a restart or a heel taking a turnbuckle off, you will be hammered. So I'm fucking blitzed. Right. But, uh, yes, so. <laughs> but the action is is awesome. Like it's, it's why can't these four guys just go out and have a fucking banger because the in-between is perfect. Do they, do they feel like they need, is it like the flow with the commercial breaks? Like what do we got going on here? Yeah. I don't know. Like I said, the only thing I could think is that they think it just gets more heat on the heels maybe, or like, I don't know, but I, I feel like you could do this and not do the full restart thing. Like just have them try and bail and then edge and, and Kidman go and chase them back down the ramp or something. So you don't really stop the complete flow of the match. I don't know. But they do kind of play it into it because when they do do the restart, it's like they – like Eddie and Chavo use the lull in the match and the restart and all the hoopla around that to kind of get the momentum. It's almost like they use it to their advantage to kind of get – you know, get the advantage and kind of slow down the hot start from the faces. And they kind of start working the uh, typical heel style, cutting off the ring um, until – you know, Edge is able to get a, a breath when he hits the double flapjack on them. He gets the hot tag to Billy. Billy hits the shooting star. We think we have new champs, but Eddie pulls the ref, and we assume they're kind of playing it up like it's going to be a DQ because Eddie pulled the ref. But here we go. Count it again, Ryan. We restart again because the ref says that this will not end on a DQ because the heels are obviously trying to get disqualified so they don't lose the titles, which <laughs> – has happened 40 million times in wrestling history, but all of a sudden now they, like, <laughs> Brian Hebner is not going to stand for that shit. Yeah, Brian Hebner is that little brother that just finally gets a little power, and he's fucking putting that power to work, man. All right. So, restart number two. But again, I thought, I think they're at least working as, like, kind of effective sort of uh, chapters to the match. Like, you get the early segment. The first before the first restart, you have the the faces in full control, and then you have Eddie and Chavo kind of take over in the second. Look like they've lost it again, and then end up kind of stealing it, trying to steal it away with the DQ. And now we go into I almost want to call it the third fall, but like I guess the third segment of this, where now they're just kind of going back and forth. Great, I have to say the the heel face dynamic throughout the whole match is just really great. Like they work really well, just like we said on Raw with the uh, with that tag match. Same thing here. Kidman gets thrown over the top. Eddie pull, uh, Edge pulls Eddie in. They um, 
they uh so now they they're saying that it's no DQ, which I don't know if they really established too well before they started busting out the belt. But Edge just gets the belt and like hits Eddie with it, like for um, what you would think would be a DQ. But I guess like I perceived it as like okay, they don't want the champs to intentionally get DQ'd. I didn't know they had fully turned it into a no DQ match, but here we are. Edge is the belt. He rolls Kidman in, but that is just enough time for um, – sorry, it was Chavo, I should say. They got hit by the belt. And that gives just enough time for Eddie to save Chavo. Um, A-Train then makes his presence known out of nowhere. He takes out Edge, and then that leaves poor Kidman isolated. He ends up taking the frog splash, and that is it. So what what did you think of the ending here? Because I know we both have said we kind of like the action so far, but – did the did the ending deflate you at all, Ryan? With A Train coming out and it kind of being it didn't end up being a non finish, but it was kind of a you know I would say a bit of a deflating finish, maybe. Yeah, um, it's hard to describe. It was, yeah, I'm overreacting just to play a gimmick on the restart thing, but it does add to the structure of the match and it adds to the story of the match and it adds to the story uh, to the characters of Los Guerreros. So it does make sense, even though. It's wonky or whatever, but I guess they've been ascending a train up. I think what you said two weeks ago that he won eight straight mm-hmm. velocity matches or something like that. <laughs> and I did send you the list of velocity matches. <laughs> so it is true <laughs> that he won a bunch of one star velocity matches, but um, I don't know. It's just they're going to move forward with a train. They're using it as a conduit to get to edge. Um, and it adds the whole structure and story of the match adds to the allura and the kind of the character building and everything else of los guerrero so it's not bad i actually went three and three quarters i i enjoyed it i thought the action it was wrestled like a four-star match but i probably knocked it down a little bit because of the flat finish but it worked into the structure of the match and the story of the match got us to the no DQ finish, but I just didn't expect or understand really why a train was coming out besides edge and a train were feuding going into this, or they definitely feuded coming out of it. I assume. Yeah, they, they've been feuding. They had the match at, at Armageddon and all that. It's yeah, I guess they're just trying to keep that simmering and they probably just wanted out for this match because yes. you've already set up that you can't like, you're not going to let, you know, the, Eddie and Chavo kind of steal the win by getting DQ. I mean, get away with, um, you know, getting the counter or anything. So you got to find a way to get out of this match. Match you don't want Edge to lose clean. So you got to have something come up in here. And Kidman's going to take the pin, which is weird too because he's like the cruiserweight champion, but he's not really doing anything with it. He's kind of doing other stuff, which is odd. But Placeholder. yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I'm a little bit below. I went three and a quarter, but I still thought it was pretty enjoyable a little bit convoluted but the action was great i mean los guerreros i love i think edge like edge and any kind of cruiser guy like him and ray him and kidman i think works really well it's a good dynamic the crowd was really into it yeah maybe i just dinged it a bit for being just a little convoluted but you know still real fun and a a really um a good mid-show tag match i tend to be a little higher than you anyway so we're probably closer regardless Right, right. I think it's in the same in the same realm as the one on Raw, I would say. Yeah. But yeah, good stuff. And um, yeah, Los Carreros, like you said, this does. If anything, if maybe it made the match a little convoluted, it does get over the lying, cheat, and steal kind of do whatever they need to do to get the victory. Yeah, they're uh, Los Carreros. Right. 
All right, so we finally get to see this um, this insane footage from last week, Ryan. So we we cut back to last week when the cameras went off the air, where um, Angle is stomping Brock as uh, Heyman screams, "I hate you!" I felt like he said, "I hate you" four hundred times here. I hate you! I hate you! I hate you! Like you can just hear him in the background. And he's not stopping. Finally, Brock fires up. He clotheslines Heyman out of the ring. Big Show comes in to try to make the save. Brock nails him with a chair and F fives. Um, and so he heads outside, he gets angle and F fives him into the ring post right on the knee, which they do get a really good shot of it. And like you could hear Angle's knee slam into the post as if you thought Angle's gonna half-ass anything with this. He definitely doesn't because his knee rocks the ring post. So um obviously you you gotta think Angle needed some time to heal his like constant injuries. So they just decided to, you know, let him take a break from the ring for a few weeks until the rumble. Um, they also followed up by Brock dropping him on the barricade on his knee, which is another good spot. And then Kurt has to be carried out by um, has to be carried out by the officials. So um, it was a bit long, especially towards the end. Like I felt like they lingered on Kurt getting carried out for like three straight minutes, which might have been them, you know, on this show. It's another tape show, maybe trying to kill a little bit of time. But I thought it was a, a very effective injury angle. Made sense. Made Brock look like a, a badass. And um you know, the main thing is that the bumps look good. Now, I don't know. I'll ask you this. Did it live up to the hype? I guess would be my question for you. <laughs> no, I was a little disappointed with it. <laughs> right. But um, like you said, it was fine. It was just, it just felt plotting. It just felt slow. And it felt over, I, like it's already edited from a week before. And it just felt like overindulged. But I guess they got to get a Going to put over the point of making Kurt look strong as he's out of action. So, and you got to get a justification for Brock. So, I get it. It's just a little overhyped. Yeah, like I want to say the whole deal was about seven minutes, which is doesn't sound like it's that long, but for what actually happened, it, it it's felt a longer long than time. That. Yeah, it felt like they were trying to kill time by dragging this segment out. Like it felt like if they this was a packed show. They could have easily cut the point across in like a two-minute, you know, show Brock hitting that five against the post. Um, I get they wanted to linger on it to try and sell the severity of it, but yeah, it it definitely seemed like they did it to kill time, not because for effect. So, but um, you know, was what it was. But agree, a little disappointing. Like maybe you would have thought something a little more. Like I guess it was just exactly what you expect, which is not like something you hype for the first hour of the show, like don't change the channel to see this footage. Like it's like, what is he going to do to him? Like hit him with a sledgehammer in the knee or something anyway. But, uh, all right. So now we, we head back to the, the current show. Heyman's in the ring. He's very upset about all this, obviously. And now Kurt's going to hobble down on his crutches. He calls Brock a disgrace. Um, does the uh, the good old low-key putting over the face thing that he will do, like he says the whole, like, you know, I mean, I guess Brock's okay because he's an NCAA champ, the youngest WWE champion ever, like, making it seem like he's dragging him, but he's really putting over his opponent, does really well. But he then gives credit to Heyman all that, says that if it wouldn't be for Heyman, Brock wouldn't have done all that. And then Angle did it by himself, and he also won an Olympic gold medal. And then who sucks now? And of course the crowd <laughs> lets him have it, telling him that it's he who sucks. A lot of this is him playing into the crowd. Like, um, you know, like, 
like uh, like he's describing what Brock did to him, and he tells the crowd, like, you like that he did that to me, don't you, people? And, of course, the crowd says, yes, they do like that he injured him. So <laughs> that stuff is pretty good. And then he kind of – he vows to take Brock down. He says he needs an agent, and that's why Heyman's going to be his agent. And then this, probably the most memorable part of this segment, Heyman then comes on and says that um, since Angle is injured – he has to protect the champion, so he has a contingency plan. And he brings out two guys who are dressed in some Kurt Angle-esque tights with the red, white, and blue singlets. And he um, he says that they are Charlie Haas and Shelton Benjamin. Uh, Benjamin particularly, uh, Heyman says, that he got because he was Brock's roommate in college and also a uh, champion amateur wrestler and so like you know he knows brock's weaknesses he took brock to the mat and all that yada 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 and so and he dubs them team angle and they do push that uh haas too was an amateur wrestler so kind of putting them as like the uh, perfect protégés for angle that they're amateur wrestlers team angle uh pretty big debut i mean i don't know if i would realize it in this moment but Definitely, I kind of wasn't expecting them to come in like at this point on this kind of, you know, kind of a fillerish sort of show. But and Angle, of course, loves it. He likes that, um, you know, that he's these guys with him and declares checkmate. So very long segment uh, there, Ryan. But what did you think of kind of Heyman and Angle addressing this, and probably more importantly, the debut of Team Angle? Uh, yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. Um, both guys looked super young, as in Benjamin and Haas, but. Oh, the presentation was great. Heyman did a great job laying out. Kurt got a little long on the mic. It just, it's just, this is like the start of like serious Kurt, of, you know, transitioning away from the kind of wonky slash serious Kurt. So maybe working out some kinks there. But overall, I love Angle. He's great. Um, I love how Heyman called him a real American, alluding to his Olympic status. I like that a lot. And then, um, the team angle stuff is memorable. You know, it's a good way to introduce them. Seton Hall for Charlie Haas, Minnesota for Benjamin, like you alluded to in good, good, solid stuff. Good build to the, you know, to the eventual feud between them, the long January, February, March build. So it's good stuff. Right. Yeah. I, um, yeah, it's hard to say too much about team angle without knowing what they become and how good they are. But I think it's good to kind of create this sort of little stable around them. I think it's cool. I think it elevates angle a little bit. And depending on how these guys work out, they could be a good addition to the roster. But I agree with you on angle. I think it's, I'm so used to him being great that when he's just kind of solid and, you know, good, it kind of throws me off and I don't want to hold it against him too much, but it was a bit long. And I felt like in this, when he was like playing to the crowd, but, I didn't feel like he had any good kind of angle lines. Like usually in any angle promo, he leaves you with like two or three like classic lines. And in this yeah. one, it was more just kind of generic heel stuff. But like, so that is most memorable stuff, but certainly not bad by any stretch. But um, yeah, kind of puts us again, <laughs> definitely seems like Big Show is uh, he's going to be on the downswing because he's even getting replaced as like a henchman. I mean, he's still involved, but you know, yeah, I wonder I if I can't uh, imagine. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. I wonder if it was Kurt was maybe like an A minus B plus because he had more long verbiage to memorize because he's a memorized guy instead of a, a bullet point guy. So I wonder if he had more verbiage to memorize. He was kind of less acty and less vibrant and more of like serious and thinking and whatever. Right. Yeah, it could be for sure. All right. 
So we see Funaki is waiting backstage to get an interview with Tori, which we'll see in a minute. But before that, we will get the next chapter in the uh, Cena and uh, Rikishi ongoing feud. So tonight, it's not going to be Cena in action. It's going to be his pal, B2, who's going to be facing Rikishi. Um, I know it seems obvious, but I have to say Cena's rapping is very Eminem like uh, sounding. Like He even has a very Eminem cadence to his rapping, I have to say. Um, it's pretty it's good. It's like enough. vibrant. <laughs> right. Yeah, he said horrible. Uh, but Bull, he, he throws it to Bull at the end, and Bull just says, Booyah! So, Booyah. <laughs> classic line by Bull. Uh, Cena's on commentary here, and I just love Cena on commentary the entire time. And, like, particularly Cole is just baffled by what he's saying. Like, he, it's like Cena's speaking a different language, because Cena's playing up his whole, like, rap persona and, like, doing all this you know, trying to do like hip hop speak and Cole is just completely like, what are you even saying? What is bling bling? Like, <laughs> like he's really overselling how, uh, all Cena stuff, but, uh, the match itself is not a whole lot going on. Like Rikishi's beating B2 around. He gets thrown out the ring. Cena throws him back in. He gets a few stri- strikes on Rikishi. Um, Cena tries to toss him the chain, but Rikishi gets the sidekick to Bull and then finishes him with the rump shaker. So even the chain doesn't work out. It was just a way to get seen out there and get Rikishi out there without having to have them actually have a match. So I just want one star on it. Uh, yeah, I have one star. Blah match. Move some angles, character development stuff. Booyah, one, ma- one star. Booyah. <laughs> <laughs> The Rikishi and uh, Cena feud continues. All right. So, all right. Let's go back to Dawn and Al and Tori um, as the world turns. All right. So, uh, Tori tells Funaki she doesn't know if she'll go to the wedding. And then here comes Al to confront Tori and tell her that she has always made it about her. But you know what? A father-daughter relationship should be a two-way street. And next week, he's doing something for him. And he reveals that after he and Dawn get married, they are going to have a child. And it won't be a disappointment like her. <laughs> just, a, just a real savage turn for Al here, who has been kind of a – he's kind of been the kind of a dupe the whole time. Like, even whenever Dawn is doing her thing, he acts like – he does this whole, like, well, I mean, I'm sorry, Tori. I don't know what you're going to do. But now he's just been a complete dick, like – which is funny too. Not a disappointment like her. I mean, she seems pretty successful. Al, I don't know, but and then Tori has to do these like weird facials to try and sell that she's sad, but she just kind of looks uncomfortable. Uh, I don't know. She should have just told Al to fuck off. Al's a rock star. Uh, maybe he got into that Viagra <laughs> a little bit too hard since he had a hard, you know, a hard on for fucking his daughter verbally beating her. But um, I don't know. I like I'm like Al's growing on me. Like he's like I don't want him to go away. Yeah, they're ridiculous of all that. Like, you could just tell they're just throwing stuff. Like, they're going to have a child, um, calling Tori disappointing. Like, you could tell that they think Al is ridiculous, and so they just want to see how far they can push him. Like, how much ridiculous stuff. Like, you know, how much can they get out of Al in making him do, like, dumb shit? And you know what I'm here for? It's, like, the perfect amount of, like, ridiculousness for me. I can't believe it's still going on. I feel like I've been talking about this for like a year. Uh, anyway. All right. We now head to uh, Eddie and Chavo, who have an altercation with Cena and, um, and B2 in the back. Cena gets fired up. And Eddie, the highlight of this for me was Eddie mocking Cena by doing like the most absurd, ridiculous 
I guess like American accent. I can't even do it the way he did it, but it was just amazing. If you don't watch the show, go find this promo with Eddie making fun of Cena. And like Cena's just baffled after. He's just like pissed and doesn't even know what to say after Eddie and uh, Chavo mock him. First of all, Eddie's got heat with me for uh, dissing Massachusetts. <laughs> oh, right. It sure he does. <laughs> so um, that that would... That, that has heap of me when it was rather amazing. And, yes, the accent was more northern Vermont um, <laughs> vibes opposed to Massachusetts vibes. Like, really hick, Hickville. But, um, yeah, like, Cena's from – come on, Eddie Guerrero. Cena's from, uh, like, a suburb of Massachusetts. We don't talk like that. Right. I'm glad we got a regional expert, too, because huh? I had no idea how to <laughs> describe what the voice Eddie was doing. It's like, uh, look at me. I'm John Cena. I can't do uh, that's my best, it's like, That's my best impression. I wrote very st- stereotypic stereotypes on this, on all levels on this. Right. All right. We now see uh, Chris Benoit talking to Josh Matthews, saying that size does not matter, and he's going to beat Angle. He's going to beat Show, and then he's going to beat Angle. He's, he's talking with a – it's a real basic face promo real quick basic stuff but he's talking with this weird like affect on his voice like he's and i will become the champion like i don't know it's a weird i don't describe it he just had a weird cadence the way he was speaking benoit did here yeah i wrote i wrote a terrible promo it's just cadence was way off no and there was no emotion or anything it's just because even later on he would get like decent with his emotion and decent with his delivery but here was like the complete opposite it's just not even decent rather bad yeah he's strange when he's not going like full intense like serious it's like i feel like he doesn't always know what to do it's like he has no other mode most of the time yeah it's so when he's not trying to be yeah it's like when he's not going full on serious like here he's serious but he's not trying to be like seething angry serious it's mm. like, yeah, he starts doing some strange stuff. Yeah, not the greatest. Um, all right. So, uh, meanwhile, uh, Kurt gives Big Show a pep talk for this match because obviously Kurt would rather face his uh, lackey Big Show than have to face Benoit. So, all right. So, we will go to our uh, our main event for the number one contendership for the WWE title. It's going to be Benoit versus Big Show. Uh, this ends up being a pretty standard Big Show match for this whole Big Show run here while he's in the title picture. Like just a lot of uh, a lot of chops from Big Show, tossing the smaller guy around, kind of plotting stomps and that sort of thing. I mean, Benoit bumps around really good for it, but it's just so only so much you're going to get out of Big Show just doing some real basic throwing around here. He gets some good some hope spots, you know, the typical going after the leg things. He finally gets any some momentum going when he get, hits like a German on Big Show, or at least the best German you're going to hit on Big Show. It's more like. Big Show kind of just flops to the side when he hits it. Um, they also go for the headbutt, which doesn't really work out too well because it's like they cover it on commentary by saying that, like, he couldn't even connect with Show with his head because Show's body is too big. So it's like he he goes for the headbutt and just ends up hitting, like, a splash, which was odd. Um, Taz says that Show has a <laughs> – uh, while he's trying to cover for it, he says that Show has a, quote, skull-like head, <laughs> which is uh, – quite a line but anyway uh the finish comes out of nowhere as uh benoit ends up getting a headlock takeover and um 
sorry, he gets a headlock takeover and Benoit ends up rolling out of it into the uh, one, two, three. Kind of, so kind of steals the win out of nowhere on Big Show. But um, I like the surprise finish. It was just a typical Big Show match for this time. It's like only so much, no matter how good the guy in there with him, if you just have a five minute Big Show match, it's just it's like him tossing a guy around is tossing around. It's okay, but it's really not like the most interesting thing you're ever going to see. So I ended up going two and a half on it, which may be generous. I just kind of went down the middle. I know what you thought, Ryan. No, nah, two and a half seems fair because that's what I went. Um, just Big So's offense, just so blah. And it's still blah despite Benoit's, you know, Benoit's excellent selling. Um, the final stretch in the final two, three minutes was actually fairly what fairly wrestled well and good excitement. They got the crowd. And, um, yeah. Solid. Benoit Benoit was good in it. Big show was typically big show. Blah. Yeah, it's like they they just have a ceiling for these big show matches. This is yeah. only so much you're gonna get. But they did it. The crowd was into Benoit. He was a face. He overcame. Did what it was supposed to do. But right after the match is over, of course, Team Angle pounce here, knowing that Benoit is now the number one contender, so they want to soften him up. And it gets a gets us a chance to see what they can do. Like it's a nice I'm glad they you know, gave yes. him this spot after they debuted, immediately established, like, what they're capable of. Like, Haas gets the, uh, what eventually would be known, I think, as the uh, the Haas of Pain, which is like a, uh, I guess you would call it like an Indian deathlock type of move. It yeah. almost looks like the uh, Eddie's Lasso from El Paso, kind of, in a way. But um, they look pretty, pretty badass. So they're just kind of showing off their athleticism, and they kind of hold Benoit as Angle kind of degrades him and slaps him around, chokes him with the crutch. And uh, we kind of go off with uh, with that. And, the um, yeah, it's cool that, the you know, they've been simmering this Benoit Angle feud for quite a while. And it's cool that they're finally going to get a chance to elevate it and put it on a big stage. It's like the, you know, a main event title feud, which is cool. But I thought it was effective. I like seeing Tim. I like that they're immediately going into this and um, getting to see what Team Angle could do was uh, a nice little touch at the end. Yeah, it was a good – the show – finish better than it started with the you know the direction let's put it that way the direction coming in was the you know the big show wanting his stuff kurt being out now kurt's established with team angled so it's a nice detour as he's you know hurt for the next month or so whatever so it's good direction for smackdown coming out of this show yep they've established where they're going kind of can see where we're going with the rumble and i I still like the the kind of three three people involved in the main event because you know Brock is just waiting for whoever wins this match to see where it goes. So I like that you Brock's like when back you, next week. Mm-hmm. And they right, announced so. he's back next week. Yeah, so you could feel them kind of building momentum as they typically do when you go into the Rumble and into Mania. So but, uh, yeah, similar to Raw, I thought this was a solid show, even if it felt kind of empty at times. You had, like, some fillery, kind of forgettable stuff, like the DeMott thing and, you know, all that. But we got a hot tag. We had some good main event stuff, set the main event angles in motion. And, um, yeah, we had a cool debut with Team Angle. So I'm going to go, I think, the same rating I gave to Raw. I think they were very, very similar shows. Um, structured similarly. Maybe SmackDown was a bit tighter, as it usually is. But... I'm going to go a 5 out of 10 on this as well. I think they were pretty even this week. Yeah, I'm going the same thing too. Five and a half for a SmackDown. Same thing. Very boring. No discussion between us with this, you know? 
<laughs> or notice no discussion in between because we both have the same score. So it's, you know, both shows being taped or both shows being packed in around the holidays. They have the direction for January in the Rumble leading to WrestleMania. So they're just getting there. So effective shows, but mostly blah and unaffected. Yeah, like just down the middle. Nothing that you're nothing super memorable. I mean, even the way it was structured, like with the the hot tag matches smack dab in the middle of the show. I mean, it yeah. was it was weird. They were weirdly similar, and they're usually not. They usually have a different energy of these. And you're right, maybe it being taped was part of it and all that stuff. But you know, neither one was bad. So, well, all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. All right. All right, so we will head into our awards. Uh, best match. I know we're going to be on those tags. I think I'm, I'd leaned a bit more towards the Booker T and Goldust tag on Raw. As do I. All right. Best moment. I think for these, I think I'm actually going to go with Goldust picking up that win. I think it was a cool pop. Um, cool to see him kind of have his moment and show that he's not the weak link. Uh, I think it was the definitely the Goldust show on Raw and on SmackDown. I'd probably go with the Team Angle debut mis- mixed with the yeah. L suspense for the wedding. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yes. The Al Viagra. Yeah. Um, best show, this was by a hair. I think I'll go SmackDown just because it's a bit tighter. And I guess if I had to have a tiebreaker, it would be that <laughs> I didn't have to watch the same match twice on SmackDown. So I'll give them that. And I went raw just because the good go home feel with Jr. You know, never getting his due, so he kind of got his little moment that he'll never bring up because he only brings up the negative parts of <laughs> how they look at. <laughs> right. All right. Um, LVP. I think I'm going to go with. I think I'm going to go with D'Lo for his not feeling his new persona, and then he came out and did the same not good match twice. So. Sorry, D'Lo. I like D'Lo. But yeah, I'm going to no, go like Bill right. DeMont. Bill DeMont just going yeah. nowhere. And then I have Test and D'Lo. And their road agent. So I'm going to find out who their road agent was. I'm going to assume it's Michael Hayes. <laughs> <laughs> go out there, work some rest holes. Get some heat. They'll love it. Same thing, motherfuckers. Yeah. This time just kick them in the face <laughs> for the finish. Vince right. hated MVP. it. <laughs> Vince ain't got to get back out there, boys. <laughs> <laughs> he said that first one was dog shit. Anyway, uh, MVP. This is a tough one because I feel like we had no real clear candidates for this. Uh, part of me wants to pick Jericho just because I thought he kind of carried what I thought was the best match. And he also had the good promo. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm going to lean Jericho. Maybe not the strongest MVP performance, but I thought he did a good showing between what he did in the match, the the promo kind of going personal on Goldust. I thought he had a good showing. Yeah, I, I last time on a month or so ago, whatever, I picked Jericho also. So I didn't want to do the same thing, but just the, mm-hmm. and then I wanted to go Goldust, but really Jericho making Goldust. But I'm going to go MVP Goldust because he's a guy that you're not normally going to pick. Mm-hmm. And he was in a shine spot and he delivered in every way in that shine spot. So I'm going to go Goldust. Yeah, totally go. Actually, Goldust, as we go into our kind of standouts on here, I had Goldust kind of right outside of MVP. So my standouts, definitely Goldust. Um, I thought, uh, I'm trying to think, Eddie I thought was good. He was awesome in that tag match. I think Benoit had a good showing as, um, you know, kind of elevating to that main event spot despite the not great promo. 
Um, I, I liked RVD. He was good in his match, and I liked yeah. his um, ridiculous promo with the Hungry Hippos. Uh, I, I guess Angle, even though I don't think this was Angle's greatest night as far as a promo, he's still Angle, and he was still very good. I don't know. Who you got, Ryan? Who stood out to you? Uh, JR, actually. Uh, J- I have oh, yeah, unconventional good. ones. I have JR and Hal Wilson. <laughs> and then I have <laughs> the I have the normal ones with, um, you know, uh, what's his face? Fucking Jericho, Goldust. And I, I like the RVD it, with the with the Hungry Hungry Hippos and the shoots and the ladders and just his tone and aura. Yeah. Can even, you know, I could even give King a little bit of props on this. And I think yeah. he did a good job kind of being the being the base for that match. Good um, glue. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, it's a it's a weird one for like MVPs and top fives. Cause it's like a lot of solid stuff, but no one really was like knocking out the park. It's just a Some kind of that weird Yeah, like holiday week. But all right. Let's get to the true main event here, Ryan. Um what this is like the uh, on SmackDown when they're promising the footage. This is where everyone's waiting for at the end of this. Um so this has sort of become your gimmick with well, at least with me, is the uh, you are the guru of the of the C shows, I'll say. Because let's see if SmackDown or something would be a B show, the velocities and stuff of the world. But you have a more modern version of this for us today. So share with us. What's going to be a we? I guess we have to come up with a name for this, like um, Ryan C Show Showcase. How about that? Ryan C Show Top Five Showcase, whatever. We'll get to it. So rolls, rolls right it, off the tongue. <laughs> rolls right off the tongue that I fucking stab her. But anyways, perfect. So so last time we, I got some personal feedback of, hey man, that that was an awesome 2002 you know, C-show rundown for the top five underrated matches of the year. So with 205 Live going boosh and disappearing off the lexicon of WWE, I figured, hey, let's go 2018, 205, top five matches. So let's just get into it. So on the September 18th episode at 205 Live, and I brought timestamps too, buddy, 20 minutes and 30 seconds, we have Cedric Alexander and Drew Gulak for the Cruiserweight title coming in at four stars at number five here. And then at number four, we have a tape uh, coming in at four stars on the June 8th, our 19th episode at five minutes and 55 seconds, a triple threat match. I believe this is a number one contender match. Adeo Atami, Buddy Murphy, and Mustafa Ali. Uh, number three, four stars also. From the semifinals of the Cruiserweight Tournament on March 13th, coming in at 15 minutes even, Roderick Strong versus Cedric Alexander, with the winner going to WrestleMania 34. Coming in at number two, a Texas Tornado match. Texas Tornado tag match at 17 minutes and 52 seconds on August on August th- uh, 21st, at four stars, Buddy Murphy and Tony Nese versus Lucha House Party, Grand Metalik and Lindsay Dorado. In the number one match for 2018-205 Live, we have Buddy Murphy versus Mustafa Ali, no DQ, 23 minutes and 25 seconds from the July 3rd, 205 Live, coming in at four and a quarter stars. How about that, Jacob? The hot stuff. So you're telling me that 205 Live, star rating wise, um, a touch above velocity. 
a tough yes because i oh oh honorable mentions you ask oh sure why not so, <laughs> yes. so real so real quick may 9th may 29th um cruiserweight title match between buddy murphy and cedric alexander at 20 minutes and five seconds at four stars so that is yes Oh, we have one more four-star match before we get out of here, folks. We have Drew Gulak versus Mustafa Ali semifinals for the Cruiserweight Tournament title coming at 15 minutes and 10 seconds on the March 20th episode of 205 Live. And those are the two honorable mentions with four stars. So that is seven four-plus-star matches of 2018 205 Live. Amazing. Amazing. Well, it's like two o two o four star live. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. I went to um. You know, two o five live was good stuff. I can't say I ever watched the show a whole bunch, but I went to a SmackDown one time, and I can't remember. It was like it could have easily <laughs> gone into your list like somewhere, but it was like a it was like the main event of two o five live. It was like a twenty minute match with like Mike Bennett and like. Tony Swan or what? <laughs> Rich Swan. I'm sorry. Tony, I mix up Tony Nisa and Rich Swan. But like them. And it was like a 20 minute match. It was probably like a legit four star match. And the arena was like emptied out. So I like it was completely. There was probably like 100 people left in the arena and watching this four star match. And I was one of them. So I completely. None of that would shock me. So this is August 2019. Hmm. It's around there. It's summertime, uh, 2019. It sounds like it. Yeah, I'll have to. I need to go back and find the exact one I went to. I bet I have like my email, my SmackDown ticket with the date. It kind of all blurs in. But I remember specifically, I was like, "This match is fucking good." <laughs> like, there's like nobody here. It's like dead. Everybody just went home, and I'm just watching this great match that like you <laughs> and whoever else watches 205 Live is gonna see. <laughs> so just anyway. in one year, 2018, we got. S- Eight four-star matches, so that's interesting. Amazing. Um, look forward to uh, coming soon to the uh, North-South Connection. Um, talking to <laughs> 205 live, um, live. Five years ago. Right. <laughs> anyway, but uh, thank you, Ryan. That was amazing. I always love your I, – I can't wait to see what you pull out next time. Uh, you might have to go, like, real vintage. Maybe you could do, like, some um, – you know, like some power hour, WCW power. The best WCW power hour matches from 1991 or some shit. Yeah, I can get I can get there, I think. I, we can make something happen. But uh, I figured uh, 205 Live going out of business, I figured 2018 was right. definitely one of their better years. So I think that it was – and, you know, four and a quarter stars is all time for me. So I just wanted to give it its due, I guess. Good, a fitting tribute. But uh, fitting tribute. aside from a compiling list of uh, great sea show matches, uh, what else do you have going on, Ryan, that you'd like to plug? Uh, let's see. I have – I'm all over the network here and there. Nothing sustained, but monthly previews for the pay-per-views, Modern Era. Um, I guess for the first quarter of the year, I'm going to do the pay-per-view recaps for the uh, No-So Network on Viewer's Choice with Marcus or – Whoever I can grab if Marcus is not available. And uh, Daily Cardoso, where we truck through 1985 into 86 soon, I think. So um, I'm enjoying that, and that's a good time. You're a part of that too, Jake. So um, that's kind of what I got. And I was on an episode of Jenny Position on Pluto, where we watched Punk 
Yeah, so that's a little out of my wheelhouse, but I made it work with Jenny. It was fun. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. If you want to listen to the uh, Cronoso Daily, you can hear me talk about multiple Nikolai Volkov matches. So you got that. I, I've been, <laughs> I got de- I got dealt a few of them. I'm not complaining because I, it definitely one of them I enjoyed quite a bit, and it was like six seconds long. So. Well, that's probably why. I, well, I just had the Uncle Uncle Elmer wedding, so I didn't. Know. <laughs> I had the six. I had the six-second squash match with with uh, Jerry Valiant. So I just did the Uncle Elmer live watch and paused and played my reaction. So that was my daily Cronoso put in about a week ago. Amazing. So everyone, check that out. That's kind of a, a new thing that we got. Well, not really new. I think it was there, and then we kind of revamped it. And um, but it's chugging along pretty good now. It's cool. It's quick. Um, you get to hear different voices and kind of hear the different people we have here on the network. Um, but thanks, Ryan, for coming on. Always good to have you. Um, a recurring guest now. I will be back in a couple of weeks with episode 50, big milestone, to um, to push us forward into the year 2003. And so um, might be a, a bit of a different one because the Raw next go around is not really a real episode. It's like a best of show. So we'll see how I'm going to work around it. But Stay tuned. I'll be back in two weeks. Um, But yeah, we'll see you then. Awesome. Thanks, Jake.
shut the door.